The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. Good morning. Wonderful to have you here. And uh, let me ask, first off, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and as you're doing that, let me just take a moment again to tell you what a privilege it is and a joy to be back with you. I, Amy and I get excited every time this opportunity comes up. And, and thanks so many of you for praying for me. And uh, I've already had people asking me this morning how I'm doing physically and uh, amazingly well. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, it's interesting when you're dealing with cancer, uh, it, just, just by the way it is, it, it can tend to consume your thinking uh, because of mortality, it consumes your calendar because everything is about medical appointments and things like that. Uh, it consumes you physically and it can consume conversation, which is not bad because the folks who come up and tell me they're praying for me, the scores of folks uh, over the last months have sent me prayer cards and just let me know is such, such a blessing. But you know, when I went into this process, one of the things I've prayed right off the bat was, Lord, I know. If I let myself during this time, I can turn inward because everything seems to revolve around that. And I prayed, Lord, would you allow me to live outward, uh, to, regardless of my need, to live for the needs and blessing of other people. And it's something you have to pray for. And uh, in fact, this passage we're going to look at has that kind of, of feel or vibe to it as you go through this passage. And, and it's known as the kenosis passage, the emptying passage. Of, of Christ. And uh, I was telling someone this morning that, you know, I think it's certain seasons of your life, you have life verses, verses of passages as you're reading that the Spirit just really quickens in your, in your heart, and uh, you carry those. Well, this is my life passage. Uh, it's a passage that I encountered in college, and I've lived my Christian life trying to emulate uh, what this is, which is the mind of Christ. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we're going to pick up and really focus on verse 5, but let's look at verse 3 and 4 leading into it. Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Uh, One translator puts that as vain ambitions. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And let me ask you a simple question. Is that easy to do? It's just counterintuitive, right? It just seems to be opposite of, of everything we instinctively want to do. You know, I don't know if you are familiar with these or remember, they used to be really big at one point, but the magic eye pictures, I don't know if you remember those, but it was paintings that just had a lot of color splashed together. And you could stare at them and see a picture inside of them. And, and I remember, uh, by the way, it never worked for me. Literally, one time a picture kind of came up and it went right back in. And uh, my wife and I were at a mall in Indiana years ago, and they had a large display of them out in the center of the mall. And uh, the interesting thing is that people you don't know want to help you. And so I'm just standing in front of my, I mean, Amy's walking down the line, oh, a tiger, oh, a mother and her baby. And she's just, and I'm in front of one, and I'm just focused, and people are walking up to me and saying, focus your eyes, unfocus your eyes, look at the tip of your nose, walk backwards, look forward, walk forwards. And they're all trying to help me, and I just can't get, I don't see anything, I just see colors. Well, in a real sense, 
The Christian life is like that because within the things we see day to day is another picture. And that picture is eternity. And it exists in everything we do. It exists in our relationships, in our job, in our school, wherever we are. Eternity exists there. And it's having spiritual eyes to see often what God is up to, right? And so in verse 3, he says, Do consider others more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So our instinct is to look out for our interest. And yet Paul is exhorting here, uh, relationally, look out for the interests of others. Have an outside perspective uh, other than your own life. Now, beginning in verse 5 is what is known as the kenosis passage or the emptying of Christ. And what I want you to notice as we go through this is that there's a progression. But it's not an upward progression. It's a regression, a downward progression. And so look at verse 5. He says, have this attitude in yourselves or this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, stop there. That is an unbelievable statement. The fact that you and I, through the indwelling spirit in our salvation, can have, in a sense, the mind of Christ. We can see things. We can see the picture inside the picture, right? Uh, by the mind of Christ. So he says, have this mind or this attitude in yourself because this is the attitude that Jesus lived with. So let's notice what that is. Verse 6, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality a thing to be grasped. So Jesus took a step down. Although he existed in the form of God, and remember, Jesus was God in the flesh. He, he's eternal. There was nothing that was created that was not by and through him created. But he did not grasp or cling to that that. Uh, Oneness with God, he willingly took a step down, coming as a man. You know, the whole history of mankind is our attempt to grasp equality with God. You go back to Satan's motivations to be like God. The temptation Satan gave to Eve, surely he knows you will be like him. And any time God comes to me and says, Mark, this is what I want for your life, and I say, no, God, this is what I'm choosing... I'm in essence grasping equality with God because I'm saying I will be God of my life. But Jesus didn't do that. Although he was one with the Father uh, there in creation, he willingly took a step down, releasing that oneness with the Father in a sense. Now again, he was God. There's no doubt about that. So look at verse 6. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7, but emptied himself. That's the kenosis, Greek word kenosis word. It means Jesus emptied himself. Now, he obviously didn't empty himself of his deity, his godhood. But he emptied himself of all the rights and privilege, privileges that came with being one with the Father. In fact, one translator puts it this way, he made himself nothing as he came as a man. You know what I've found? I don't mind making myself nothing as long as people see that I'm making myself nothing and they think that I'm something because I'm making myself nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't mind humbling myself. I just want people to see it and appreciate it, right? But Jesus emptied himself. Literally, again, the idea is not his deity, 
But he walked this earth as a man. And, and look what it says next there. He emptied himself, verse 7, taking the form of a bondservant or a slave, literally. So Jesus takes a step down. He doesn't grasp equality with God. He empties himself of those rights and privileges. And remember, when he took on flesh, he took on, the scripture says that Jesus got tired, he got sleepy, he got hungry, he got thirsty. So he took on a human flesh. And so now he empties himself. And it says there that he took on the nature of a bondservant or a slave. You know, again, everybody wants to be called a servant. Nobody wants to be treated like one, right? Oh, we love that title, particularly in the church. Oh, he's such a servant. She's such a servant. Uh, boy, I, and, and let me tell you, I've been in churches where the servant, you better not cross them. <laughs> right? But Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. We like that title. We just don't like to be treated that way. Jesus was treated as a servant by those in authority. Years ago, when I'd first joined Life Action Ministries, the mission organization that we, uh, Amy and I were a part of for many, many years, there was a day that uh, we needed to get some things done. It was a busy day. We had a whole team at a church. And uh, we took our three vehicles we had to get service, just get the oil changed. And it was, again, it was a busy day, and we drove up to this mechanic's place, and we're sitting in the waiting room. And uh, after a while, the mechanic came out, and he said, well, I've finished two of the vans. He said, but the truck you brought in has got a problem, and it's going to take a bit while to, you know, to fix that. It's going to take us a while. And so the truck was not the vehicle I'd driven up there. And I remember thinking to myself, well, good, he has to stay. He drove it up here. And I'll never forget the guy who drove the truck turned and looked at me, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you wait here and we'll go on back. And they left me there. And let me tell you something, I got mad. I thought, God, I didn't drive the dumb thing up here anyway. Why am I the one stuck here? And as God began to work me through that process, I suddenly realized, you know, if we would have talked about it, I probably would have volunteered. Okay, I'll, you know, I'll humble my, I'll be the one who waits. But because I was treated like a servant, I got furious. Jesus took on the very nature of a servant, took another step down. Look again at verse 7. And being made in the likeness of men, took another step down. Can I tell you something, folks? The greatest event of history was not World War II or walking on the moon or putting a, a, a spacecraft on Mars. The greatest event of human history is that God himself walked this earth as a man. I mean, that is amazing that he allowed himself to be in the womb of a woman for nine months, that he grew up, like I said, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he got tired, he got sleepy. He grew up as a man. It is the most incredible event of human history, God walking this earth. I had a friend who for many years was a missionary in Africa. And uh, he worked with the Maasai tribe, and this was in the 1970s, 80s. And, and after literally decades of almost no response, uh, in a three-year span, they saw 15,000 Maasai tribesmen come to Christ. And uh, God just broke loose in revival. And, and uh, Kurt would, said, you know, the biggest problem we had was we couldn't be everywhere they were asking us to be. And uh, he said in one particular tribe, they had sent for us and said, would you come tell us about this Jesus? And we were supposed to be there Thursday on a Thursday, but we couldn't get there. And he said, we finally arrived on a Saturday, 
And they were all sitting in the center of the village waiting for him. They'd been there since Thursday, just waiting to hear the gospel. It was an amazing time. But he told me that at one point he met in a, in a hut with five leaders of the Messiah nation. And he didn't realize that the oldest man who sat in the center was actually the spiritual leader for the entire Messiah nation. And so Kurt began to talk to them, and he wanted to kind of get a feel for what their views were, their theology of God, what, you know, how they worshiped, whatever. And, and he said, let me ask you a question. He said, is God a man or a woman? And they talked amongst themselves, and the old man spoke up. He said, missionary, God is both man and woman. And Kurt said, well, that's an interesting answer. And he started to move on. And the old man stopped him and said, wait a minute, missionary. He said, aren't you going to ask me why I say that? He said, okay, why do you say that? He said, well, you see, God is righteous. And we are unrighteous. And God is so righteous and so holy. And we are so unrighteous that we are separated from Him. And he said, we are so separated from God that we don't even know if God is a man or a woman. And Kurt said, he thought for a moment, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, you are separated from God. He said, how could you close that gap? He said, could you do it or would God have to do it? And he said, they talked amongst themselves and the, mission, or the older man looked at the missionary and said, missionary, God would have to do it. And Kurt said, well, what if God did it by coming to this earth as a man and walking this earth and showing you who he was and what his heart was and, and dwelling here? And then giving himself as a sacrifice. He said, could God close the gap that way? And he said, they debated for some time. And he said, the old man turned and looked at him. And he said, missionary, that is the only way that that gap could be closed. Is if God walked this earth as a man. And Kurt said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. It's the most incredible event of history. God in human flesh. By the way, uh, don't get during Christmas, don't ever lose that what we are celebrating. God on this earth. So amazing. And so it says he came in the likeness of man, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now he took on flesh, which was a huge act of humility, but now he's going to humble himself more. You wouldn't think he could go much further, right? But look what it says. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Let me say something just very clear, very straightforward. There is no such thing as humility without obedience. They are flip sides of the same coin. You cannot say, I am walking in humility before God. And by the way, I remember talking with a friend, Daniel Simmons, who's a, a pastor in Georgia. And Daniel walked up to me and he asked me one of those questions people ask you when they already have an answer. They just want to hear what you say. He said, Mark, what is the most essential quality in a person to experience revival? And I started thinking about it, and my first thought was humility. And as I started to say it, he goes, humility, right? I said, that's right. You see, because God says that he resists, literally stiff arms, holds at arm's length the proud, but he pours his grace out on the humble. And, and humility is not someone who just walks around, you know, oh, shucks, I'm not anybody, I'm not worthy. Humility is a person who has yielded and surrendered to God, and they are following that surrender up with obedience to God's direction. That is humility. You can't have humility without submission to God. Because otherwise, you're trying to grasp equality with God in life. But he came obedient to the point of death. 
death of his physical body? You know, years ago I was uh, within Life Action. I had a person underneath my authority that uh, just really had a problem with me. And uh, some of you in business, you've been there. And uh, just this person just felt like every single thing that happened that was negative was my fault in their life. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, they would come and, you know, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And every time they talked to me, they would just kind of dump on me. You know, you did this to me. You did this. And you, you didn't respond when I did this. And you didn't say hi when we passed each other in the hallway. And, you know, just, and, you know, you take it in and you try to be humble and say, okay, you know, uh, I remember the founder of our ministry just got chewed out in a church by a pastor. And when the pastor finished, Dale looked at him and said, you know, thank you so much. He said, is there anything else you see in my life? And so I wanted to carry that kind of a heart. And so I would just receive it and take it and take it. One, one afternoon, this person came to me and said, hey, can we talk? And we went to a room and they just unloaded. You did this to me and this to me and this to me. And, and I said, okay, thank you. I said, let me pray about it. And, you know, and, and after they left, I sat there. And the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. Have you ever done that? Kind of worked yourself up into a... And, and I did. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I, I'm tired of this. Just, you know, I, I'm, and I'm going to tell them off. I'm going to claim my rights. You know, and so I met with this person. I said, look, you can live in a fairy tale land. I'm not going to live there with you. You know, and I just really let them have it back. And uh, as, as I finished, this person just, their fists closed. And they said, how dare you talk to me like that? And, um, you know, it just, it was one of those things where I thought, okay, I probably shouldn't have done that, I'm realizing. And it just, it escalated, and it came to a point, and I remember uh, going to God and just saying, God, you know, you, you've got to do something here, because, by the way, uh, if Satan wants to destroy a church or an organization or anything else, he will always do it from the inside out. Outside pressure does nothing but expand the church. Inside conflict is what destroys a church. And, and I said, Lord, uh, this is going to hinder what you want to do. It's going to grieve your spirit. You know, something needs to happen. I've already gone back to them, you know, asked forgiveness, you know, several times. Something's got to happen. And, and just as clear as anything God has ever spoken to me, the, and, and you know this has to be God because I've never even thought in these terms. It's like the Spirit of God in my heart said, Mark, I want you to wash this person's feet. Now, I'm not talking figuratively, I'm talking literally. I said, God, I'll go to Africa as a missionary. <laughs> I'll stay single the rest of my life if you want. <laughs> but there is no way. And then, you, again, you start doing that. Okay, wait, was that God or the devil? Is those Satan's going to tell you to humble yourself? And, and, and I'll just be honest. I said, God, that's no, that's crazy. Case closed. And for about three days, it just hovered over me. I remember literally waking up in the middle of the night and the first thought on my mind was, you need to wash this person's feet. And I said, God, they won't understand this. I know they did it in the Bible, but nobody does that anymore except certain denominations, you know. That are, and, and God, there's just, there's no way. But you know what the real issue was, just honestly with you? Down deep in my heart, I thought, Lord, if I do that, they'll think they were right. The hardest issue for me to die to was my right to be right. And so there came a moment where uh, I had that person come to my office. I took a basin of water and washed their feet. 
And let me tell you something. The tension broke. That person began to weep. After they left the room, I sat in that room alone. And the only way I can describe it to you was literally the presence of God in that room was like a blanket wrapped around me. And I, and I learned in a tiny, tiny way that the God of this universe got on his hands and his knees and washed the feet of bickering, arguing disciples. Now notice this last step here. Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. By the way, what are you obedient to? The point of discomfort, displeasure, or death. But look at the next phrase. Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Took the ultimate step down. You see, we don't understand today. I mean, there have been some movies out in the past that maybe illuminated a little bit, but we don't understand dying on the cross today. It was a humiliating death. It was a grotesque death. It was a gathering place. People would gather at the foot of the cross, much like in the 1800s, if there was a hanging, people would come into town to see the hanging. People gathered at the foot of the cross because the person being crucified at one point would typically lose kind of their senses and people would banter with them and laugh. And it was a show. To the Jew, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. The very fact that Jesus was crucified was proof to the Jews that he was cursed by God. To, to the Gentiles, the Romans standing there, they're saying, this is your Messiah, this is your hero. Look, he's not a conqueror, he's being crucified. So here's what happened. Jesus became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, the most humiliating death you could find. Now I want you to notice something. Let, let's track back through this real quickly, beginning in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now this is how you look out for the interests of others, by having this attitude. Who existed in the form, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality a th- thing to be grasped, took a step down. Verse 7, but emptied himself, took another step down. Taking the form of a bondservant, took another step down. Being made in the likeness of men, took another step down. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, took another step down. By becoming obedient to the point of death, another step down, even death on a cross, took the ultimate step down. Now look at God's response. For this reason, God has highly exalted him. Now why? Why did God exalt Jesus? Was it because he fed 5,000? Because he healed the sick? Because he raised the dead? No, because he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus took the lowest position, God exalted him to his right hand. And let me say to you, that is still God's pathway today. You see, what we see is climb the ladder. Assert yourself over people. Achieve, be the person, be the winner, be the one who reaches the top. And in God's economy, that picture within a picture, it's no, humble yourself to me, become obedient to death, and I will exalt you in due time. That's God's economy. That's the picture within the picture. Humility. 
is how God exalts. He became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. You know, years ago, a uh, little note was smuggled when uh, Russia was still under communism, was smuggled out by a pastor who was uh, imprisoned there for his faith. And uh, he wrote a little note that got smuggled out and it ended up in the hands of a, a pastor here in the United States in Florida. And, and this is what that pastor who was in the prison camp, no congregation, no outward ministry, forgotten by people except for his family, just wasting away there in that cell. This is what that note said. He said, I've come to view myself as a tiny flower that blooms in the Siberian snow. And he said, nobody sees it. Nobody knows it's there but God. And he said, a soldier comes along and with the heel of his boot, he crushes that flower. And he said, a tiny fragrance is released that nobody smells but God. And he said, I have come to the point in my life where if my fragrance is known only to God, that's okay. Let me tell you something. Philippians 2 is my life verse, but I am nowhere near accomplishing it because I still want my aroma to be smelled. <laughs> Humbling ourselves. And you know what? Here's the, here's the thing about humility. It's a choice. It's a choice to yield before God and to say, not my will as Jesus did, but thine be done. Whatever that means. And God will exalt you in due time as he sees fit. Let me ask you if you'd stand with me for a moment. You know, let me ask you, bow your heads as we enter into a time of prayer, but if God has spoken to your heart this morning, I, I always want to leave opportunity to respond. And so some of you may need, you can pray in your seats, sure, but some of you may need to come forward and just kneel up here for a little while. And just say, Lord, this morning, I humble myself. Not my will, but yours be done. So if God has spoken to your heart, whether you do it there or up front, I want you to take time to, to deal with God. Uh, and then we'll close here in a moment.